Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I thought, well, the world's black and white, you know, it's either this or it's that, or it's either a yes or a no. And in reality, as you learn, as you grow in leadership, the world is extremely gray. There's a lot of nuance. It's not always clear cut. In fact, most of the time it's not. And you got to cut through some of that noise and decipher what's going on in order to then make decisions. That's hard. And, and each situation's different. So you got to kind of learn the combination of your own experiences as well as the wisdom of others. And that's why I'm a big believer in doing what you do and certainly what I do, which is have regular conversations with people who are smarter than us so that we can learn from them so that when we are faced with one of those tough choices or decisions, we're better prepared in that moment to make the proper choice. Welcome to the Warrior You podcast, proudly presented by our parent company, Hindsight, Leadership and Resilience. I'm your host, Bram Connolly, and this then is my show. A massive shout out to the podcast sponsors, Ironside Coffee and Gym Equipment Specialists, Aussie Strength. And of course, not forgetting Special Operations Research and Development, Sword Australia, for all your tactical equipment and clothing needs. Righto, let's get on with the show. Hey, how are you? Ryan Hawk. I'm good, man. How about you, Brian? What's going on, man? Um, mate, I'm just a little bit fanboying here, even though we had some sound issues initially. But um, yeah, it's just awesome to finally, you know, get you on the show after that one tweet. <laughs> good. Hey, happy to be here, dude. Whatever I can do to help. You're the first NFL quarterback I've ever talked to, just quietly. X. Uh, so who do you normally have on the show? Um, the biggest name I reckon I've ever had on here is Jocko Willink. Oh, how was that? It was intense. Yeah, and that was good. <laughs> he's, an one, intense, he's a pretty intense guy, isn't he? Yeah, one SF guy to another. It was good. We've we've chewed a lot of the same dirt, so it sort of uh, it, it was it was good. It was it was like talking to an old mate. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, Love to hear it. So when I discovered your podcast and then your website, I realised that what I was witnessing was where I'd visualized my own journey taking me in the, in the next five years. And so I realized more now than ever that I'll, I'll be an overnight success, you know, after about five years worth of work. Um, did you think, did you think the podcast would become this amazing resource and, and have all the pulling power that it has today? Um, it's, it, you know, it's funny. I don't really set long-term goals. Uh, I would say my hope was, that uh, I would just continuously improve and learn. And if I followed my own curiosity that I could potentially help other people along the way. So it's hard to really know. I didn't, I guess I didn't set any expectations of what it could become because I, I just, I, I was just hopeful that I could keep doing it and then it would uh, help other people uh, while I was doing it. And fortunately that's happened. And because of that, it's opened some doors and created opportunities for me that 
are really amazing. A lot of them, uh, I, I would say a lot of what has come from it is the relationships I've been able to build a combination with my guests as well as with guys like you, you know, who have got some value out of it. And because of that, now we're having a conversation to potentially help even more people in another country that I'm not from, uh, but but certainly more around the world as well. It's 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 to me it's inspiring to see how it's it can connect people and and help develop relationships because we have maybe a mindset of wanting to continuously improve and grow and realize there's so much more out there for us to to, to do, um, it's for me, that's, that's some of the juice that helps keep me going, uh, as I, uh, as I work to, to build this. And we'll get onto some of your marketing, uh, stuff later on. See what I did there? I gave people a hook for later. <laughs> <laughs> You've been paying attention, haven't you? <laughs> uh, so we'll get to that a little bit later in the show, but, um, it is interesting how, this is the podcast is almost like nuclearizing the word of mouth. Well, I just think podcasting is it's a very intimate experience for the host and the listener because you know you're wearing these headphones. Uh, typically, it's a secondary activity, but um, so you may be driving, where's usually a place where you think, or maybe it's you're in the gym um, or you're washing dishes or something along those lines, and then you have this kind of experience with your host where their voice is going directly to your brain, literally, and to your heart. And so it, it is a, it is an incredible way to network and connect um, through this, this medium that was not really uh, a, a place where many people went to five years ago when I, when I started mine. And now it's, it's, it's becoming a bigger place, which I love to see because I think people have, have realized the ability to connect with others through the power of your voice. And uh, that, that that's exciting to me. Yeah, well, I hope that by virtue of the fact that we're talking, that this will open the Learning Leaders you know, podcast to what is about the size of California, Australia, but it's still another 20-odd, 20, 20 26 million people. Yeah, you know, you're right. There's a real change in what podcasting is doing what it was intended for, but what it's actually doing. And, and now people have, they can go and choose their own content in their own time. And I mean, you look at someone like Joe Rogan, who has more listeners than people that watch CNN. I mean, he's an, a media marketing powerhouse, really. Mm-hmm. Which is no mistake yeah, that uh, Tulsi was on there the other day, I guess, to um, to give her, her candidature a little bit of a, a boost. It's a, I mean, it's really... It's awesome to see, especially with Joe, and I've been a fan of his for a really long time. I mean, he's one of the originals, but the staying power, not only the staying power, but the growth. I mean, he, he is a media empire, and it's out of him following his genuine curiosity, and I love that. I think that's inspiring for all of us that, that something like that, a person like him exists. Uh, who's been able to really, and, and I think the reason that we all probably admire and look up to him is because you can tell he's just genuinely himself following his curiosity, asking interesting questions, taking the dialogue deeper and deeper than it normally gets by having two, three hour long conversations with really impressive people. I love it, man. I love it. You really get to know somebody over the course of, of listening to them for many hours, and Joe does it every single time out. So it's inspiring for for me and obviously for you to, to, to see somebody like that exist. You can definitely hear when someone like yourself or, or when 
someone like Joe Rogan connects with the the person in the studio with them or on the other end of the phone, there's a definite difference in the way that the podcast is conducted. Definitely, definitely. So yeah. from all the interviews you've conducted, what would you say is the key theme of the high performers that you've talked to? Because I think the hook at the start of your show is that you have the same sort of recipe where you say, you know, I'm really interested to know how high perform what high performers do to be so consistent over such a long period of time. So from all of those interviews, what would you say is the key theme that they sort of come up with? Yeah, uh, so there's a, there's a probably a few. Um, one, it's the who is everything. So who you choose, intentionally choose to surround yourself will uh, play a massive role in your long-term success of those. Who are the people in your sphere that you're intentionally surrounding yourself with is a really big deal. So you get, you got to get your who correct. Be very thoughtful about that. Uh, and then I've already, already used the words twice, but the, the, the commonalities I found among people is that they are incredibly thoughtful about what they're going to do. They're, they're thoughtful about their behaviors every day. They're thoughtful about what they read, what they write, who they surround themselves with. Uh, their, their, their intake engine has thought into it. So they're, when they're consuming information to learn, to grow, to get better, they're really thinking about that. And then from there, they are in, incredibly intentional with their actions. So great thought and then intentional actions that follow from there. I found that to be a commonality among leaders who have been able to sustain excellence over the years, not the one hit wonders, not just short-term bursts of success, but they've been able to, to consistently sustain it. It's tough. So you've got to get your who right. You got to be really thoughtful and reflective about it. And then you got to be intentional with your actions. You have to be a doer, right? You can't just be sitting in the corner reading a book. That's part of it. But then you have to take what you learn and put it into, play and be able to analyze and reflect on what is working and what's not, and then continue pushing forward. That's what I've seen. I mean, you, you know that better than anybody, right? A, a special forces guy, you have to do both of those things, right? You got to think about what you're going to do. And then you're, you're regularly taking action. And then afterwards reflecting on what we did, what we tried, what worked, what didn't, right? Because these are in your case, life and death situations, not necessarily in mine, but that forces you to be thoughtful and reflective and intentional with your actions. And I found that to be a commonality among leaders who have sustained excellence over the years. And of all the podcasts that you've done, do you find yourself going away at the end of them and, and taking down notes and, and just writing down and trying to recall things so that you can then implement that in your own life and your own business journey and, and so forth? Definitely. I mean, uh, my, my, my process is, is pretty in depth when it comes to how I'm personally learning from each guest. I mean, I hand write notes during every, every conversation I have with leaders. Um, and then I listen to the recording of that conversation and then I type out all of the notes, the show notes that are, are on my website, learningleader.com. So that, that is my iterative learning process. Listen, write with my hand, listen again, type out all of the notes and then reread the notes and then listen with everybody else when it comes out. So there's multiple steps along the way in order to make sure that information is really seared in my brain from each and every guest so that my process is what's in place to ensure learning happens. This is why it's vitally important that I'm very curious 
about every single guest because I have to do all of the work ahead of time to prepare, but then there's a lot of post work as well that if it's not somebody, somebody I'm very curious about or I don't really care about their story, then I'm probably not going to do as good of a job. And then the quality will decrease, thus making it less useful for my listeners. And that, that just can't happen. Yeah, so there's a, there's a heap of podcasts that I listen to when I'm running, but yours is the only mm-hmm. podcast that I listen to and I stop for whatever reason, pause, pull my phone out, and then take notes. And I don't, I don't mean that to fanboy at all. It's just the content and the way that these guests are like. For instance, and we'll get on to again, we'll get on to, we'll get on a little bit later to um, David Epstein's. But I went out and bought that book, Range, straight off the back of that podcast because I was like, that is that is me all over. That generalist in a specialist world. But I remember stopping mm-hmm. about 10 times during a run going, oh, I've got to take that note down. I've got to take this note down. You know? and, I, and I think it's because of the way that you conduct the interviews, but also because you probably spend so much time prior to the interviews coming up with the questions that are going to elicit certain responses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think when I, when I look back at uh, successful moments in my life, they all were preceded by a massive amount of preparation. So preparation has always been part of the process Mm -hmm. for success for me. I don't think I'm necessarily talented enough in any of, any of the aspects of what I've done to just show up and wing it. So I, I have to be overly prepared. Um, and you speak about that Epstein episode as a, as a, as a, as a, I am with you. I loved it because, uh, you could tell he knows his stuff cold. He's done an amazing amount of research to be ready to go for what he was writing in that book um, and then could speak on it so eloquently uh, that I learned a lot as well. So it certainly warms my heart to hear you say that it forced you to stop and take notes. I mean, that's the goal. That's really what I hope happens is that you're getting so much value for free, mind you, for free to um, that you, it makes you want to not only keep coming back for more, but also tell all of your friends. And I've learned that the best form of marketing is word of mouth, um, telling one person at a time, telling one friend at a time, because that has a ripple effect because that friend might tell five friends and that those five people might tell five. And before you know it, you have a show that can create a full blown business, which is what's happened over the past five years. And, um, I, I wouldn't have it any other way, man, if, if you, cause I, people are going to listen to what you have to say. So it's important that there's value brought to you on a regular basis that makes you want to tell other people, the people you care about, Hey, you should listen to this. It will help you. Uh, that's, that's just that for me, that's as good as it gets. Yeah, so I was. It made me think of a story. I was in the Special Operations Command Pacific Headquarters in Hawaii. To put it into perspective, I was no slouch in in the military. I was up there with the high performers, and I walked in there as a as a major, and I was looking around at all these other majors, all these American, you know, USSF and Del, you know Delta Force and all these sort of majors, and, and they were all smarter than me. And I remember at the time thinking, bloody hell, this is the first time I think I've been the dumbest person in a room for a while. But what it shows me, and, and you know, you talking to someone like David Epstein, that the huge population of the United States, that the amount of high performers that come out of there, I mean, a lot of people ask me, why do you interview so many Americans? It's, well, there's a lot of high-performing Australians. They're just not as accessible. Which is which is really sad, I think, in in a lot of ways. But proportionately, why is it? Why aren't they? Why aren't they accessible? Well, because they're in a small pond and they're big fish. Yeah, I gotcha. Whereas when yeah. you when you get a huge pond like the US, and I get someone like yourself, you know, someone like mm-hmm. and like Jocko. Like I mean, I I talk to people here who don't know who Jocko is. 
which just mm-hmm. you know, just crazy. But yeah, I, 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 yeah. I think the population, the huge population of the US, there is just a lot of very talented, very smart people there from collegiate from collegiate sports all the way through to the leadership. Yeah, you're you're right. I, I think, um, and people now are becoming people like Epstein and others are uh, understanding the power of podcast and having and speaking directly to a very committed base of listeners. So if they want to spread their message now, instead of going on book tours, people go on podcast tours. Um, and that's a real, that's a, that's a real piece of action as part of PR plans with people who have messages to spread or if they're promoting something. Um, it wasn't like that five years ago. And now people see, well, this is a very a powerful way to get directly to re- and people who listen to podcasts are the types of people you want to get in front of if you're somebody that's that's publishing a book like that because everyone listening to this has an interest in growing and developing, improving, getting better, or else they wouldn't listen to podcasts. They just listen to music or something else. And that is why it's important and why I think it's the doors have opened for, for guys like you and me to, to meet with and speak directly to people we look up to um, because they, they view the power of that platform. And then as you build your own platform and pe- more people listen and you get accolades, then it's, it's amazing how it works is just doors continuously open because you've put in the hard day to day work on a regular basis to do a good job at your show that opens doors for more relationships to happen with the people that you want to talk to. It's pretty, pretty cool how it can go. And, And you've written a book, welcome to management, how to grow from the top performer to excellent leader of which I think I was the 32nd person to buy an advanced copy from Amazon, um, published by McGraw. Did it, show, did, it, did it show that number? No, I'm, I'm full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, would, I, I, would, I actually would have asked you where you found that, but thank you for being an early, an early buyer. <laughs> um, published by McGraw-Hill and released, I think, 28th of January, but you can, you can get um, pre, pre-orders now on Amazon. Yeah, and I'm interested yeah. to know, is that is that book made up of snippets from the podcast using the Gary V sort of uh, mentality of siloing and then using content from other areas or is it um, your own thoughts and lessons that have been shaped by the guests that you've had on over the years? So it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, the first book idea I had was basically a reference book of taking what I learned only from the podcast. But we, we scratched that idea and, and really niched down to a time in my career when I went from individual contributor to first time manager and, and thought about all of the mistakes I made and what I learned from that. And so I would say the bulk of the message is based on what I've learned from just through my life experiences uh, from athletics to then transitioning to the business world, then from individual contributor to then leading a team and then moving up and up within the, the corporate America business ranks. And uh, looking back at all the mistakes made as well as how I've been helped by mentors. So sharing, it's kind of a bit of my experience, a bit of some of my mentors that have been in my, my life directly, a bit of the podcast guests that have been on the Learning Leader Show. Um, all of that is put into one. So, and, and, it's, and it's really a story science practical application type of a book because that's how I write. That's how I speak when it comes to uh, speaking on stages is 
share a story that is uh, that will grab you and want want you to continue continue to turn the page and read. Share the science that makes that story real, the empirical evidence, and then the so what, like why do I care as the reader? The practical application: How can you implement this into your life? That is that is again my approach in speaking and in writing is is story science practical application you do that and that can truly help people that's what i like to read the most people who 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 write in that manner and that's what i like to watch the most people who speak so i've emulated that approach and kind of made it my own and then here we go and now it's the first first form of a of a published book coming out soon in addition to podcast that uh is again there's still only in america i don't know what is in australia but in america only 50 percent of people listen to podcasts you'd think it would be more than that but it's still only half of the population but everybody in the world has seen a book they may not have read a book but they've seen it they know what they are so uh, I tried to get my message from the podcast now and onto another medium where people haven't maybe haven't previously been uh, at least aware of me if because only half of the people listen to podcasts so that's Smart. that's part of the, the reason for doing it as well yeah. And you know that uh, you telling me about how you how you speak as a public speaker made me think of Yancey Strickler's episode three through four, which was amazing. And, and I adopted a lot of her points in my own style of keynote delivery. Has it taken you a long time to develop your public speaking, and, and do you still get nervous at all, or is it something that you've got down to a fine art now with that storytelling, with the the bringing the fact home for the people so that they can put themselves in in your in you know, your shoes. Structure-wise, I, I feel uh, certainly more comfortable um, and capable to go do a, do a really good job to help help the people in the audience. Uh, certainly, still get nervous uh, because it, you know it's a huge responsibility. If somebody pays you a, a, a decent chunk of change to come on their stage, and there's 200 people that are taking time out of their day to listen to what you have to say for an hour, maybe ask you a few questions at the end. I mean, I, I, that is a, a, a massive responsibility that I don't take lightly. So I think about that a lot as I'm leading up to the event. Uh, but like most things in life, the more repetitions you get at doing it, the better you become. This is why you probably trained so much as a special forces operator is so that when it comes time to really go and do it, you are more than ready. It's almost muscle memory because you've gotten so many practice repetitions. So for me, that's, that's part of why like a stand up comedian has to regularly get up on stage because they never want to, they, they never want to get rusty. I, I like to regularly get on stage to stay sharp, uh, to, to, to try new, new, new bits out. Um, but yeah, I, I love that aspect of it. Cause if you would have told me five years ago that I'd be doing this 40 to 50 times a year, I'd say you are nuts. I don't think I do it once per year. And now it's a big, big part of what I do, uh, day to day. Yeah, that's awesome. And it gives me, because, you know, like I said to you before, I'm probably five years behind where you are now, and Australia is certainly five years behind the US with our uptake rate of podcasting. But that just gives me more hope, actually, seeing where you're at now. Not hope so much, yeah, but yeah. just a, a vision into the future. You, you think Australia is five years behind yeah. in it? Yeah, for Why sure. Yeah. Um, well, I started listening to podcasts in the UAE about three years ago. And when I came back to Australia, then most people didn't know what a podcast was. And so there's a definite, there's, and, and I'm watching probably 200 people a fortnight coming on to, on my podcast. 
as extra listeners. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting to watch it rise. Hey, of of the over three hundred people that that you've interviewed, nearly nearly oh nearly three hundred and fifty. What what is your definition mm-hmm. of leadership? After you've talked to all of them, what would you say your definition of leadership is that that you've sort of been brought around to to thinking? And I mean, Simon Sinek says. It's um, getting people to do what you want them to do because they want to do it, which is very pop culture-ish, I think. But um, I'm just wondering if you have something similar or if you have your own thoughts on your definition of leadership. Yeah, I think to me, I start immediately thinking about what the greatest leaders in my life have done uh, to make me want to follow. And I think what they've done is that they really have identified the power in other people and helping them unleash that. So it's an empowering style and behavior of really being able to see in people what maybe they don't even see in themselves and then helping them unleash that. Like two of the greatest football coaches I've had, American football coaches I had, they saw more in me than I realized I had. And they pushed me to higher levels of performance than I realized were possible. Mm. And I think if you can get good at doing that, you will inevitably have influence because there's going to be a lot of people who want to be around you, who will want to follow you. Um, And so I I try to do that. And I, I try you know, when you reach out initially, it, it, it's one, I'm, I'm fascinated by the military and especially with special forces operators. Um, but, but also in seeing, um, your interest, I thought, wow, this seems like a really fascinating guy. I'd uh, love to interesting learn you, more. Interesting you'd say that yeah. because, um, why? Well, because I listened to one of your podcasts a couple of times and okay. one of them in particular was about how to reach out to people to get them to come on your show. And I knew that if I just sent you a message going, my name is such and such, I want you to do this, you know, whereas what I, what I, well, I think what I said was, you know, I listened to your podcast with, you know, let's say General Stanley McChrystal and I love the interview style that you had and this, this question was really poignant to me. And, you know, by the way, I've got a podcast, I'd love you to come on. And I, I, but it was funny because you were, you were teaching people, you were teaching people sort of almost common niceties. It's a marketing style of communication, but it's also just common decency. And, <laughs> yeah. and the fact that you responded straight yeah. away, I was like, right, this guy's either got an amazing team <laughs> that are running his Twitter <laughs> or, or, you know, this guy. No, is no, I'm, no, I'm the only person who has the password to Twitter. Yeah. Well then, then it's just, it's coaching one oh one. It's, it's one of those things where you just, you just give the next person a, a, a sort of a step up. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in order to scale, you do things that don't scale. And so there is time I block uh, on a daily basis to respond to people who have taken the time to thoughtfully reach out, whether it's on social media or email. And uh, though that that is behavior that does not scale. What I mean scale is them saying, like, well, you can't respond to everybody. And I'd say, well, I try really hard if it's a thoughtful, specific email. Um, I, I think, I don't think you can ever get to a level where you stop doing that. At least I don't think you should ever get to a level where you stop doing that. You may not hit everybody, but you can certainly try. And if you're intentional about blocking time on your calendar on a regular basis, whether it's every day or every few days, these are people who are taking time out of their lives 
to ask a question or to tell you something kind, the least you could do is respond. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and who knows what could happen. And I've built some great relationships with people because of that. And that's part of why you do the things that we do, right. Is, is because you, you never know, you never know what could happen just by being a kind, decent person yeah. and responding. And I know I, I've benefited a lot from people having that approach as well, because I've written what I think is a hopefully decent cold email and they responded with kindness and have agreed to talk, to do a show. So I think if someone, sometimes every once in a while, someone will say, well, how, how can I re- repay you or what can I do? And I, my answer is always the same is like, just keep doing that for other people. Cause think about the ripple effect we can have if everybody that we come in contact with can build that approach, that mentality toward how, towards how we treat other people. That is what I want to keep going, keep, keep happening in the world. I think that's my small part of trying my best to make that happen. So that's, that's kind of why I behave in that manner. Well, this will be episode 77 so far. Nice. So yeah, so I've done one a week for the best part of a year and a half and it's had 150,000 downloads for 77 episodes. So it's not doing too bad, but the fact is that. That's awesome. Wait, hold on. Think about this for a second. So, a hundred and fifty thousand times someone has take taken time out of their day to, to listen to to what you're producing. You got to like pause and think about that. Like that's amazing. So congratulations. It's it, awesome. is, it, it is pretty cool. Yeah, it is really cool. And you know the 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 podcast is all about leadership, resilience, human optimization. But the the thread keeping it all together is positivity. I want to push positivity because I think too many people get to certain parts of their life and they're just like, oh, I'm done. Especially in this day and age, a lot of veterans, I think, just give up, and that's not something that I, you know, would just, you know, would want them to do. Yeah. Do you talk to many? I'm curious, real quick, since you're you're yeah. from abroad, and the when I watch the news, um, there's so much divisiveness going on in our country. Like, what is it? What is the perspective of someone like like you in Australia? when you think about what's going on in America, is it just like, ah, whatever, like I'm going to worry about what we have going on here. Or, or do you even have a perspective of seeing kind of like, whether it's the political landscape or people choosing sides and kind of like fighting like crazy. What, what's the, what's the perspective you've, you've gotten from where you're at? Yeah. I might have a, a little bit of a different perspective though, because I, I've worked with USSF so much. So I understand some of the feeling towards Hillary Clinton from, from, from them, yeah, and and I think Donald Trump, um, from the political, yeah, to look at it from a political perspective, he he certainly reached out to those people who who wanted that alternative. So, but Australians, I think, look at America and, and they wonder how that's the best. That how is that the <laughs> best you've got? Um, in some ways, maybe that's just me though. That could just be me. I don't want to talk for the whole of Australia for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's such a weird, it's such a weird thing to to look at the politics of the U.S. And I mean, a guy who was on our TV a few years ago on The Apprentice is now running, you know, the most powerful man in the world. And and I, I think we are we're quite a humorous, you know, dark humid culture. So when someone had, um, you know, they they played a whole heap of skits of Donald Trump and they show Saturday Night Live and things like that, you know, we I think we'd probably find that quite amusing. You look at the economy, the economy's booming. You know, I mean, he's a businessman and there's certainly things going on over there that are, you know, the, the, all indications are that they're going in the right direction. 
but then the the whole interaction with North Korea and China is terrifying. For, you know, for Australia being so close to it all. I so, was going to say you're being you're a lot closer to it than I am. How, like, what do you guys think about that? I'm not trying to get take you off track. By the way, I'm just curious because cool. you have a completely you have a different perspective of the world than I do, and I can't help but you know take a minute or two to to, to hear about it because I love gaining the perspective of people who. Uh, don't live around me, have a different upbringing, have different experiences because it's how I, it's part of how I learned. So I'm yeah. just curious. No, I'm, look, I think we're very, we're very similar in a lot of ways, Australians and Americans. And we, we certainly, September 11 changed Australia forever in modern history that, you know, but you go back world war one, world war two, especially world war two are very closely aligned. However, I think we're also poles apart. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Part in the way that we the way we think and the way that we do things, but I will say one thing about your country looks like it's divided, but a lot of that is probably probably state sponsored interference, and I don't mean that from with regards to the way that the elections were interfered with, but even I go on Twitter and, and I muck around on Twitter a little bit and and you know and, and talk about gun reform and this that and the other, and you can tell that people that are responding are. Uh, from a factory somewhere in Russia and just divide and conquer it. Like it's, it's so obvious, you know, and I, and I think that yeah. a lot of Americans get sort of, they get so wild with hate over the comments that are made on social media and they, they forget to walk outside and, you know, in the grass and, you know, look at the sky and go, oh, I'm here. This is amazing. You know, so a great point. Yeah, yeah I, and great I, point. I think that the people that are riling them up are not necessarily their own countrymen. They just don't know that. Um, because America yeah. has always had solidarity, you know, in, in mm-hmm. I mean, the Great Depression, World War Two, you know, and obviously there was some there was issues around Vietnam after Korea, but there was all over the world and the world was sick of war. But, you know, America has always shown a strong, resilient culture. But I think that what's happening at the moment is there's powers outside of the US that are influencing a lot of people inside the US and, and they're, they're sheep, they don't realise it. Hmm. It's an interesting point. Sorry, I, I'll, I want to let you get back to your to your show, but I was just curious for a second to hear perspective. Well, I'd like to know from your playing days. I'm interested to just change it change it around a little bit to a little bit of mm-hmm. resilience. Um, mm-hmm. So when you were when you were playing football, did mm-hmm. was mental toughness and resilience were they one and the same thing, or were they were they things that were they separate? Do you think? Um. <clears throat> So I go back to my to, to my offensive coordinator and my head coach Bob Greg Ron Ollery, uh when I was going into my freshman year of high school. Um, I really learned what mental toughness was and how to be resilient. So I, I guess I'm not 100 percent sure how uh, I would frame each of them, but I, I will say just from my experience. I learned how to be resilient through all of the, the hard 
work they put us through this again back to back to you this is why you train so hard i mean we, our coaches had some military background uh, on our staff and so they took a similar approach they went studied from the army uh, here in the states and brought some of that back you know waking up extremely early so we have to be there by 4 30 in the morning uh incredibly hard running weightlifting uh, different types of team building drills where we did hard things together. Uh, that's when camaraderie and teamwork can be built. When you when you and when you are forced to go through really challenging mentally and physically act, act, physical activities as a group, it brings you together because you're forced to be resilient together. So that when it comes time for the game. You, you can look at look at look to the guy to your left and your right and say we've done something together harder than this I know he's got my back and I know I got his back and while when you transition to the business world it's hard to, to create that exact moment you can you can I think do some of that in this world meaning uh, making training harder than what it is uh, in reality. So if you have a huge presentation for a big potential client, you're trying to land the preparation, the practice, the attention to detail, the pushing yourself hard leading up to that big presentation or that big moment, that is very similar yeah. to what I did learning on the football field. And, and so I think that's how you can take again, to bring this back to make it more practical for the person listening who maybe isn't a football player, isn't special forces currently you can take the same approach and have it help you by having this fanatical discipline towards being overly prepared for the big moments in your life, whether it's standing on stage, giving a speech, a big presentation to land a big client, whatever it may be, an interview that you're trying to get a big job, right? Being prepared, all of that mentality can work um, towards helping you. And that stems, I think, from, from, from being uh, resilient and certainly mentally tough. Yeah, that was well said, man. Hey, you know, Ryan, I'll, I'll let you in on what I've learned on the seventy odd podcast, which I, I think, and this is a little bit about, you know, I want to, sh- I want to share that with you as well. I've learned that they are separate; that resilience and mental toughness are two separate things, and and that resilience is mm-hmm. what you bring to the party right now, and it's influenced in some part by your genetics, but in big part by your genetics. Um, in fact, I've got a friend who did whose PhD thesis was on post-generational resilience in Holocaust victims. So she went right into the detail. Yeah, so it was it was epigenetically switched on. Um, so that's resilience, but it, it's also what you bring to the party right now in, with regards to your uh, physical disposition, how much fitness you have, how much sleep you had the night before, how much fluid that you've had, the diet that you're currently taking. So all that makes up your resilience and your resilience is how quickly you can bounce back from something. And then mental toughness mm. is that thing that your football coaches were eliciting from you as a group because they were putting you through arduous activities. So mental toughness is built by giving someone a frame of reference that is harder than the hardest thing they're about to go through. Um, and, and the really interesting thing that I found about it, which I thought you'd love to hear, is that if you make someone really mentally tough, they don't have to draw on their resilience as soon. Hmm. Yeah. They're so, better prepared for it. Right. Yeah. I love, I love your, your line of thinking here and the way that you're, you're approaching it because I think any way, 
any type of activities to really uh, distill something down to its essence yeah. from like a first principles thinker and then building it back up. You know, I, I think that some of the great leaders that I've helped me, they had this, um, this ability to uh, distill something down to a, its essence, essence, synthesize that information and then them share it back for me to learn from after they've done all of that hard work themselves within their mind, just similar to what you just done. I love that, man. I think that's, that's another quality of leaders who have been very helpful and create followers and help build up and make new leaders is the ability to do that very thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And would you say that team sport leadership is, is easily transferable into the corporate sector or are they, or are they not good bedfellows that there's, there's good from some and then, and then they don't necessarily work in in corporate world when it comes from sports or what do you think they are? I do think it's a, it's so for example, I hired uh, when I, when I was hiring team members, a number of people that had backgrounds in team sports as well as in the military. Um, and I found that they were, and this is a generalization from my own experience, but also talking with others, I've found that ones who have a background in team sports have a better odds of being collaborative, of being helpful of others, of being not as judgmental of other people. Uh, because I've also hired people who played individual sports, uh, tennis, golf, uh, uh, sports where you're, you're not really a, a standing side by side with teammates and you're depending on each other. Um, so I, I do, while I don't think that's the only background, I do think there's a lot of value in people who have had experiences standing side by side with somebody else and you both need each other because in the, the way the corporate world works today, there's a, there's so much work that needs to be done across silos of, of different parts of an organization, especially working in a big company. You, you, you need to be good at adding value to the lives of other people within your organization and, and, and having a mindset of that, of helping them because you're going to need their help as well. And if you're not someone who's regularly doing that, you can't just call somebody up after you have had done nothing and say, Hey, I need you to do this, this, and this. No, you've got to put in the work. And that's just like being a part of a team sport, right? Sometimes my offense lineman might miss a block. I have to avoid that rusher and still make a play, right? I'm helping him out when he perhaps made a mistake or just got beat, which happens. So, you have this regular process of, of picking somebody else up maybe when they've fallen so that when you need help, somebody, you know, people are there able, willing and ready to, to, to help. And that's how I think good collaborative teams sustain excellence is, is to act in that manner where you're always trying to add value to other people. Yeah, it's a good answer. There's a friend who, that I have over here. He's, he was a Sydney Swans, Aussie rules, Australian rules, football coach. Um, very successful. His name's Paul Ruse. And he's one of the best leaders I've ever had the opportunity to talk to, which is interesting considering the high-performing leaders that I've been surrounded by in the military. But I don't necessarily think that the military is the panacea of all problems in the corporate sector with leadership because it's what's fundamentally missing from, from that um, leadership style is that defense force disciplinary act that's underneath it where someone has to say yes sir no sir three bags full sir 
you know. And so there's there's a certain, and I see certain Jocko and other people who've come from the military. And we've got a few of them over here in Australia as well who think that they can just regurgitate the way that the military um, goes about their business from a leadership model and also a planning model, and then think it's going to be successful in the corporate. And yet, I talk to someone like Paul Ruse. And sports seems to transfer a lot better than the military. And I think the reason for that is the collaborative nature of sport, but also the the fact that to be able to get the best out of someone, you have to encourage them in sports. Whereas in the military, sometimes to get the best out of people, you just have to tell them to do it. Well, I think this is a, this is a big part of what I've written about because I thought about it deeply. There's a big difference between committed organizations and compliant. Oh, I wrote that down when I heard you say it the first time. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 yeah. I guess I'm, and I'm not saying like that all military organizations are just compliant because in a way you have to comply. I, I, I do think you, you build commitment in the military too, but all of the best leaders that I've been around have built committed organizations because compliance can be commanded, right? I tell, I'm your boss. I tell you to do it and right. you have to do it. Cause if you don't, you get fired yeah. versus a committed organization where you so badly want to work with that person uh, or for that person or do what they say because you believe in them and you believe in their vision and you believe in their behaviors and you, and, and you know that they, they, they care about you and they want what's best for you. Those are the types of people we commit to. So my mission is really to, to help people build committed teams, committed organizations versus compliant ones. Cause I've worked in both. And when you work in a compliant organization, right? What do you do? You do just enough not to get fired. Yeah. just enough. And then you're probably also kind of peeking around looking for something better. And that is how a, a, an organization or a team dies a slow death is by having a lot of people who are, are compliant because yeah, they need the job for whatever the money or they don't want to be unemployed, but they're not really committed. And we don't want that, right? We want to, we want to, we want to build people up to build committed organizations. And that's, that's, part of like what I really work at, at doing with writing a book and, and certainly doing my podcast and speaking on stages. Yeah. Do you have any advice for someone who might have a team member that's disruptive or openly submissive to their leadership position? So if you have someone in your team as a leader who is just hard work, you just can't get them to do what you want them to do, or they just push back on everything or, or even to the point where they're disruptive. Mm-hmm. Well, so I think there's, there's, there is some unpacking to do there. Cause sometimes I take, I value people who are willing to challenge and push back if, because they've thoughtfully, uh, figured out a way that maybe I'm doing something wrong. So like, that's not always a bad thing. I mean, Adam Grant will call them disagreeable givers, right? They're willing to speak up if they've realized something's better. I feel like, I think you're talking about those though, who are not necessarily this disagreeable givers, but the ones who are speaking up for without, without like unfounded reason, yeah. I guess you could say. Um, and in that case, uh, I learned this the hard way um, by not acting quick enough. So, right. Especially if you're leading a team and the team is X amount of people, it doesn't necessarily matter if, if, if you, you get what you create or what you allow. And so if you're allowing that, that becomes the standard. Mm. And so are you willing to, to, to lower your standards 
for that because whatever you're allowing becomes the standard. And I believe in a standard of excellence of holding people accountable to, to high standards, believing that people will live up to expectations. If you show you truly care about them, but if you do have one of those outliers who is not helpful, um, it, it, it behooves a leader to either work really hard to get them to uh, shape up or it's time to make a change. And those are the tough things that leaders have to do from time to time is make changes. I just talked to Bob Greifeld, who's CEO of NASDAQ. And, you know, Bob realized that as he got that CEO role, that there were some people that were not going to, uh, they, they weren't on the same page and they were ne never going to be in order to build the type of culture that he wanted to build, to have the type of success that he, in, he, uh, inevitably ended up having, he had to then make those tough choices to, to change personnel. And in that case, he, he, he fired him. So I think that's why being a leader is not for everyone. Why being in a higher, high up position like that is not always fun. Um, it, it's a distinctive choice that you're going to have to make really tough decisions from time to time. And sometimes that means impacting someone's life by, 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 uh, firing them. And that is the part of the job that I, I like the least, but it was part of the job that had to happen from time to time. And if you, if you waited or you let the standard slip, then you could lose respect from other team members that were extremely valuable to you because they did live up to the standard yet you were letting others slide. And if you do that for too long, those top performers, they will start looking somewhere else because they want to go be around excellence and you are not embodying that. That's a problem. So you have to be very careful with that. If you were to go back to VP of sales at that multi-million, multi-billion dollar company, would you be a far better leader now than what you were then, do you think, based on the experience from the I, podcast? I do. I, I do think so. I think I've learned from people who have, who have led on grander stages than that. Um, I, I firmly believe that, that if I, you know, I'll stick to the process that I'm at and the structure of my conversations that I'll continuously get better at this. So yes, I think, um, while I don't have any intention of, 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 yeah. of ever doing that, of um, I, I do think that I, uh, would be, would be much better suited for it now because I've just, I've just been influenced by so many people who have sustained excellence. And that's, that's what I would, I would, take bits and pieces from all of them and, and, and use that manual, that playbook and, and incorporate it for my own game. And that's what I try to help other people do. Yeah. And I feel the same. If, if, if I was, if I had to go back to Afghanistan as a, you know, platoon commander, I would be infinitely more successful than what I already was um, just based on all the experiences since then by talking to people. And that, and that in itself is interesting, isn't it? That just by conversing with other people, we're able to build our knowledge base and also answer questions that maybe we had. And perhaps that's an, perhaps that's an issue with leaders in this day and age as they just get on and start leading, um, which brings me to, to an interesting sort of segue question, I guess. Do you think we focus too much on leadership and perhaps you know, management, actually being good managers, good process-driven managers, perhaps that's slipping to the wayside and therefore people, workers aren't getting that sort of guidance from a managerial aspect. Perhaps. Uh, I think one, one of the parts that I've written a lot about, because uh, my dad had this impact on me when I got my first um, management role, 
was that there are multiple aspects of that job. Um, there's, there's a leading part, there's the managing part, and there's the coaching part. And in order to, to, to be effective at that job, you've got to do all three. Cause I remember when I got the job, I told him, I was like, Hey, I, uh, you know, I'm going to be the inspirational guy. I'm going to have the good messages and stories in our meetings. And I'm going to really get people pumped up and I'll have other people work on kind of the management aspects of the numbers of the business and, um, working within those constraints. I'll have somebody else help me with that. Um, that's not really what I do. And he stopped me right in my tracks, like a record scratch and said, don't you ever say that again. That is not how this works you are now in the position where you have to do all three. You have to understand the business aspect of your role. That's part of your job. You have to be a great coach, both developmentally and performance-based. So developmental is coaching for the long-term development of the person. Performance-based is coaching in the moment, real-time, micro-coaching, seven-minute conversations in between a phone call, something along those na- that, that, those lines. You, you have to do all three, and then you still have to be a leader who has vision and empowers and inspires you have to be good at all three of those if you want to effectively grow and, and lead your team properly, understand the differences there, and then work at all of them in order to be good because most people are not able to do that. Most of them are good at maybe one or two at most, but not all three. And if you can get good at all three of those, you're going to be in good shape. And so I, ever since that, that first day, like I, I really rethought my approach to leading, managing, and coaching. Yeah, I love it. I, I do really like that. And I've heard that said a couple of times. I was talking to a friend the other day and um, and she, she has a, a big um, COO role here in Perth. And she said to me that the company she came from before, which is a big, a big oil and gas company, um, they have lead, manage and supervise. And you have to be able to bounce between those three pillars and they have all skills within those pillars. And I, I think that's definitely something that we should look at from a leadership perspective on developing more in our leaders Um, a lot of the work that i get um, through my consultancy hindsight um, leadership and resilience is all around the sort of lower hanging fruit which is those people who are technically excellent and then they get promoted because they're technically excellent and now they've got 30 staff or however many and they're like oh my god i have no idea how to do this especially engineers because they're like where's the where's the where's the manual for these people you know, and then, it, and then it comes down to me saying, actually, you know, in, in a workshop saying, actually, people are really messy. You know, there is no blueprint for this and leadership is really messy and it's really situational and you've got to chop and change all the way through to get the most out of people. Um, and it's great just watching them go on that journey as well, you know. It's true. That word messy is, is absolutely true. I remember when I, when I was uh, in an individual contributor role, I thought, well, the world's black and white, you know, it's either this or it's that, or it's either a yes or a no. And in reality, as you learn, as you grow in leadership, you, the world is extremely gray. Uh, there's a lot of nuance. Um, it's not always clear cut. In fact, most of the time it's not. And you gotta, you gotta, cut through some of that noise and decipher what's going on in order to then make, make decisions. And, uh, that's hard. And, and each situation is different. So you got to kind of learn on the combination of your own experiences as well as the wisdom of others. And that's why I'm a big believer in doing what you do. And certainly what I do, which is have regular conversations with people who are smarter than us so that we can learn from them so that when we are faced with one of those tough choices or decisions, we're better prepared in that moment to make the proper choice. 
And uh, that's an iterative, ongoing process that never really ends. But I just want to be as prepared as possible for when it does come up. Speaking of people that are smarter than us, or smarter than me, Yancey Strickler, David Epstein, um, talked about him before. Also, General Stanley McChrystal. So that were some great guests. And, I mean, that's just three of a lot of really great guests. For me, listening to um, General McChrystal's, the warmth that he had for you and for what you were doing, I thought, just just spoke volumes of how the regard that you're held in America in, in this sphere. Um, that must have been such a thrill to, to talk to him. He, he's, you know, obviously he's someone who a lot of us in the military look up to. But tell me, what, what did that feel like? Was that surreal? Was it very strange? It was. Uh, that's exactly how it felt because I was intimidated by him before we had spoken. And then we get on the phone and he's just so, uh, or on Skype, and he's so warm, curious, kind, really smart. I mean, really, really smart. Yeah, and I, I've told this before, but the, after we got done talking, we had a long conversation that was not recorded. And then he invited me to go to go to Gettysburg with his class, you know, which was a pivotal point in our civil war here in the States. And uh, crazy, isn't it? it was, a, it was one, of those, one of those opportunities that you just kind of you have to drop everything and <laughs> oh, say yeah. yes, which I did. And uh, and went to, to to Gettysburg with him in the class and had two days there and we ran together and walked the battlefield and he he taught a lot he brought guests with him that were other special forces guys from from other parts of the world and the states and they taught uh, each of the locations we went to I mean it was a surreal experience it was it was I had to really think like I can't believe this is happening but then also try to keep it together like like hey we're all just people here so it was one of those weird experiences where you're trying to just act normal, but it's hard, you know? And so we developed a relationship and, and because of that, I, you know, I, I thought, let me just, let me just swing for the fences here and go for it all. And so after I got back, you know, I was uh, finishing up writing my book and I needed someone to write the forward. So I made a list of a few people that would, that I wanted to write it. And he was the first person on the list. So I asked him and, um, fortunately he said yes. And wow. a few weeks later, a few weeks later, I have, uh, the finished forward to my book and awesome. it's written by four star general Stanley McChrystal. And yeah, it's amazing. I still am shocked to read it. Uh, but it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, I can't believe I didn't make the list of people to write the forward for your book, mate. What's going on? <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> so, um, so what, what was your, what was your feeling? Uh, pro, like you, you know, written books, uh, how, what was, what's your process to get what's in your head out on the page so that it's useful for the reader? Yeah, well, the first two that I wrote were really quite a cathartic experience, and they were military fiction, and I just wanted to write, you know, I just wanted to put a, a fox in the hen house, so to speak, with having an Australian action hero instead of an American or a British one. Um, so for me, it was all about that. And it took, a, it took a year to write each book. And then the leadership book that I've written, which at the moment the working title is Rise of the Alpha, um, mm-hmm. and that's taken that's taken a couple of years to write, and and that is an autobiographical representation of my experiences and and a lot of the mistakes that I made along the way, and and I think a lot of learnings from those mistakes, and and one of the one of the things that I say at the start of the book, and and I say it quite a lot in this podcast, is that you can't get fat from eating humble pie, and um and I've mm. eaten the lashings of it over the years, some of it with with extra cream, but um. But I think it's a very, for me, it was a very humble experience writing it. And, and also it made me realize that the rich 
sort of fabric of friendship that permeates through special forces and and beyond um so yeah for me it was the the process was more about i I guess i wrote 30 or 40 one line lessons Mm. and then built chapters around those and and i'm a good storyteller that's how i you know that that's that's how i operate i guess and that's how a lot a lot of people a lot of knowledge continuum sort of people work is that they tell stories to portray experiences and i mean if you think about it someone somewhere wrote on the side of a cave wall there's this bloody big tiger and it's got these saber-like teeth and if you go outside it'll rip your face off and and, <laughs> and humans and humans are able to look at that and visualize the future and go wow i'm not walking outside this cave at night because that exists i've never seen it but i know what it'll do you know, and because mm-hmm. of that, we're able to convey stories that put something in someone's mind's eye. And I think that's what the, all the best leadership books should be able to do is they should be able to put you, the reader, into the position of, as the protagonist, go, this could have happened to me or, or I might find myself in this position one day and this is how I'll now handle that because I'm learning this experience from someone who's been there. Um, and some of my experiences range from... Being stuck out, being stuck in the ocean for you know four four or five hours out the other side of um, Townsville, there, bobbing up and down at night, you know, waiting to be picked up by a boat that just never came. And I was there with one of my best mates, and I was wrapped inside a parachute, and we decided just to start cutting this parachute to bits, you know. But I it, now you think about that, and it doesn't sound like that big a deal. You take two civilian people, drop them out of a boat twenty nautical mile <coughs> off the coast at night in Tiger Shark Alley. And then go, okay, five hours, see you when we get back. And when we when we got picked up, we got in the boat, no fuss. But that's because we, we were in the military and we're best mates, you know. And there's there's those sort of stories. Crazy. And, yeah, it is crazy. And then there's, you know, there's all these things that are, you know, there's like rock climbing, parachuting, boats, close quarter battle in the house, Afghanistan. There's all these sort of, you know, Tully, the jungle at night, these sort of things. And there's all these leadership lessons all the way through it. And I, and I just found it to be, a real great trip down memory lane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more than anything. I love it. I yeah. love it, man. That's cool to hear. Cool yeah. to hear. Yeah. But anyway, let's talk about your book. Okay. And let's talk about Brixie and Myers' leadership advisory practice because that was a that mm-hmm. was an accounting firm, wasn't it? Is that your partner's accounting firm first? Is that am I reading that right? When I looked through the you are yeah, mm-hmm. and so then mm-hmm. from there you've sort of branched out and created a a leadership advisory service much. You know, I'd say much like what I've done here with hindsight, leadership, and resilience. But actually, I was a couple of years behind you. I think. But that's it. I mean, it's such a great. Someone told me once, "Oh, you can't make any money out of um, you know, out of leadership. It's got to be crisis management." And I thought to myself, doing crisis management and emergency management is just feeding on people's fears of things. Whereas doing leadership is, it's a positive way to make right. money. You're helping people. Right. Yeah, a hundred percent agree with you. And. You know, I'm not going to focus on an area unless I'm really passionate about wanting to do the, the research. Hey, everyone. Sorry for the abrupt ending, but I had some technical difficulties with this week's show. However, the interview with Ryan was so good that I still wanted to post what I had. You can be sure that I'll record a conversation with Ryan again in 2020. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please do tell your friends about it. Word of mouth is still the best way to advertise the show. If you would like to leave a comment or review on iTunes, that would also be greatly appreciated. Um, Chuck in a few stars, five if you wish. Have a great week and Merry Christmas to you all, given that it is Christmas week at time of recording.
Bye. Righto. Thanks for listening, gang. If you'd like to find out about our parent company and the leadership and resilience training and workshops that they offer, please head to the Hindsight Leadership website, www.hindsightleadership.com. Hindsight Leadership, all one word. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, and remember, every dollar helps, you can do that through the podcast website at www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. There's a donation tab at the bottom of the main page, and all donations are really appreciated. They keep the show on the road. And if you're interested in the Warrior U military preparation course, whether that's just the physical training component or the whole cultural training package, this can also be found through the podcast website, www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. And just click on the training tab. Remember, we're going to be in Brisbane in 2020, in July, for a massive day of leadership and resilience training workshop and live podcast. So uh, keep it locked in your diary. Righto. Thanks for listening and live a life worth living. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.